hey, thanks for being here. Thanks for coming out and being with us in the house of God. I know that I sound like a broken record. I know that, um, but I love so much worshiping in this room with you. I, I just don't know, I don't know how to deal with a broken down old world and, and living in that without the regular opportunity to gather with people who know the Lord and love each other and have an opportunity to worship together. I don't know how they do it without this. And I'm just grateful that you're here and I'm thrilled to be in the house of God. And I believe that last song that we sang, that he's been faithful our whole life. Do you believe that? Give it up for a faithful, faithful, loving God. I remembered about a, a guy one time who started to come to church, and, and uh, he started kind of really getting into it, uh, didn't know who God was, had no relationship with Christ at all, and so he started coming to church, man, and every week just got a little bit more connected with God until the day it came, man, it just, it just completely changed his life completely. And he started showing up in a room like this, and he was just excited about it, man. He was, he was on fire, and he's one of those guys that, I mean, he just, he just got it, man. He, he showed up early, okay, and was here and kind of got everything ready and got in the mood and got in the spirit and greeted people when they were there, and, and he was just there, man. And when they sang, he just, man, sometimes he would stand up and lift up his hands, and he would just worship with all he's got, and he would just sing loud even though he was bad, like me, okay? And man, he just, he just did it. And when the preacher preached, man, he just started every week getting more into it, and, and he might yell out back to the preacher, that's right, preacher, that's right, man, that's good stuff. And he was just, he was just there, man. He just, he just got it. And one day, he was just really worshiping with all of his heart, and an usher came by and got next to him and said, Dude, you got to calm down, man. We don't do that here. Anybody ever been to a church like that, huh? We don't do that. And he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And so he calmed down a little bit. And a little bit later in the service, a preacher was preaching, man. And he was saying, preach it, preach, man. I'm with you. Amen. And finally, that usher came down and sat down with him and said, dude, you have got to be quiet. And he said, I am so sorry, man, I'm so sorry. I have just found the Lord, and I don't know how to contain it. And the usher said, you may have found the Lord all right, but you didn't find him here, okay? Well, that's not east side, man. And there's a difference between those two people because one of them understands the second commandment and one of them doesn't. And I want you to wrestle with a question in our study in this service right now. I want you to wrestle not just do you know the second commandment, and you will find out about it, but I wanna ask the fact, do you obey the second commandment? Do you obey what God said in that second commandment? So we're gonna study that together right here, and uh, we started that last week on this idea of a first four, uh, living in the first four kind of world that we have, and what are the very first four things that God has called us to do in the Ten Commandments. And so we're kind of wrestling through that as we kind of work our way uh, to the spring date of the NCAA Final Four. So we're kind of getting in the mood of that, and we took those first four commandments, and we, we kind of made them clear last week when we suggested that you can understand the Ten Commandments in two sections. And the first four are all about our relationship with God. And so we're going to take those first four, 
the ones that are the most important, it seems like, and we're going to zero in on those, and we're going to find out not only do we know the commandments, but are we obeying them? So last week, we talked about first commandment. So let's put it up there, and what we talked about is the first commandment is the absolute priority of God, that he is before all things and all people at all times. He is the priority in your life. He didn't want to compete against anybody or anything. And so that's what we talked about last week. Now, last week, when we were done with our services on Sunday, I remember that, that I went home and I was just kind of thinking about all that. And I was kind of wondering, even though I had studied it and preached it and experienced it in our church right here, I started really asking myself in a real strong way, Dave, you know it, but do you do it? Do you really obey the first commandment of priority of God. And so what I did was I took a little piece of paper and I just thought back, and all of y'all could do this, I thought back to the various issues that I had been facing in my life over the last two or three weeks. And when I say issues, I don't mean you know some life-altering stuff I'm going through. I'm just thinking about, in the last few weeks, some pretty big decisions that I had to make. And so I just kind of wrote those down, had to, had to make that decision there, and some actions that I had to take, and I kind of wrote that down, and wrote that down, and I probably had five or six of them on my sheet of paper, and I asked myself as I look at those, I thought, how did I make those decisions, how to decide what I'm going to do in this situation? And here's, what I, here's what I realized as I look at the sheet, is for most of them, I counted on my instincts. Okay, here's what my guts are telling me to do. And many of you all do that, okay? You got a decision to make, you got an action to take, and you just kind of think about it and you go, here's what my guts are telling me, man. This is what I'm thinking. And I looked at that sheet and a lot of those were there. I saw on a couple of those that I had called people that I trusted and said, hey, man, I'm kind of working through this. What do you think about that? What would you do in that? And why would you do that? And I, I sought the counsel of people that I really valued their input. And there was a couple that I did that. There were some of those that I had to do a research for. In fact, there were a couple there that I had to find out some things I didn't know, and I spent a little time. And I looked at that sheet, and I thought, man, in the last two, three weeks, I've had these things that I've had to work through, and you got some things on your sheet, too. And as I looked at them, I did all the right things, all the right things to make a good decision and to perform in the way that I should make myself do. And so I looked at that and thought, man, you did all that right, but obedience to the first commandment is before I did any of that, I would have asked, what does God want me to do? And it just kind of struck me that we dealt with this together last week as a church. And I just want you to understand how big of a deal this is, that the very first commandment right out of the bank says to make him number one, not compete against anybody or anything. And, and dude, if we can get that right, then everything else falls into place. And that's why it's the first commandment. And what happens in all of the 10 commandments is the commandments are written in the idea that this is the umbrella of all of them, and if this gets established in your life, then all these others just kind of fall into place. For example, if God is the priority in your life, the absolute priority in your life, here's how you handle sexuality. That's commandment number seven. You see how that works? Everything always comes back to that first commandment. Make him the priority. 
Now, once that is established, and we kind of set the mood for that last week, then this weekend we jump into the second commandment, which is an expression of the first, and let's put it up there, and it deals with the worship of God. So God says in the first one, make me one, make me the first, okay? Make me absolute first, and then the second one, God says, now if I'm first, watch this, watch this, God says, here's how I want you to worship me. And you're going to find out that that is a big, big deal to God. And when I consider this idea of how we worship, it is the humble, the humble expression of our heart to a God that is bigger than any of us completely. And the expression sometimes of thanksgiving for, for what he's done in our life and sometimes the expression of humility about how big and powerful he is and sometimes the expression of dependency on I need you at this point in my life. And sometimes that worship happens privately in a secret closet and sometimes it happens corporately when the family gets together and we just pour our heart out before God. That's the idea of worship. And God in the second commandment says this, I want you to do that the right way. I want you to do it the right way. And so what a, what a unique aspect that we come in here on this day and we've worshiped for several minutes and now we're diving into his word and what we're gonna find out in the second commandment is that God is gonna tell us exactly how he wants it done. Now, before we dive into it, I promise you you're gonna learn some things uh, as we study this. Before we do that, I wanna introduce some things about that second commandment that are pretty important to know. And, and this will kinda of help us in our, in our study of it. I want you to understand that the second commandment is the most difficult of all the 10 commandments to understand. It's the tough one to figure out. I mean, some of the commandments, when you look at them in Exodus 20, I mean, it doesn't take much more than a, a, a two-year-old mountain lion to kind of understand it. I mean, they're very simple. So the sixth commandment, do not kill. Does anybody hear that and go, what are you really talking about, okay? Do not kill. I mean, it's simple, it's elementary, it's kindergarten level. But when you get to the second commandment, there are Bible scholars today that are still arguing about what the second commandment means. It is complex. It is difficult to put together. And the challenge of this message in writing it was how do you take that which is complex and make it simple. That's extremely hard to do. I found it very difficult to do that. And I didn't beat myself up too bad because I think God had a rough time with it too. The first commandment, anybody remember how many words it is? We talked about last week, eight. Eight words in the first commandment. Most important thing written about in the Bible. God says, I am number one. Eight words he wrote in the commandment. Watch this, commandment number two, took him 82. We went from eight to 82. It's almost like God's having a hard time explaining it as well. And so in my effort to take the complex and make it simple, here's the route that I want us to take. And I, I'm promising you that, I'm guaranteeing you this, that if you follow this, you're gonna, you're gonna see what this is all about. 
If you take those 82 words written in the English version of the Bible that I, I read through, you can kind of break it down into three kind of sections. And the sections are right here. You kind of have the beginning of the command, and then you have the middle part of the command, and then the end part of the command. And most commands aren't like that, okay? Do not kill. I mean, very simple. There's no beginning, no middle, no end. It just, bam, there it is. Not the second. The second is exhaustive and complex, and it has all these sections to it. But what I found out is that in order to make it simple, and this is what I want you to kind of come with me on, is I want you to see that we're going to, in our explanation of it, we're gonna turn the order of it when we talk about it. So example, we're gonna start with how it ended. And that's very, very important to see that. We're gonna see the ending of it, and then we'll go to the beginning and then the middle. So if you take this approach to those 82 words, you end up with a complete understanding of what the second commandment's about. And then you gotta wrestle through, do I obey it? And that's a big question. So with all that said, let's, let's do this. Let's go on this journey. Let's start with the end of the commandment. Now, the second commandment has something on it that not all the commandments have. This is, this is fascinating. It has a tag on the end of it. There's a tag on it. There's an end of the commandment. And, and the end of the commandment is different from the other commandments, many of them, because they don't have the tag. I mean, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. I mean, just simple. But the second one has this conclusion, this tag. And the tag is this. God tells us why he wants us to obey the second commandment. He tells us the reason for it. And I'm, I'm going to explain that over the next few minutes, and I, I want you to know that I felt so, so passionate about the ending of the commandment. There's something in me. I just want to show you how it ends, and let's go home and let God mess with you on it, okay? But, but let me show you how, how it happens, because there is this explanation from God why he wants us to obey that. Now, if there's any parent in the room, if you're a parent, raise your hand, okay? If you've ever been a parent, okay, you know, you know that there are times when we're raising our kids and we tell them to do something or we tell them not to do something. And they look at us, particularly when they're younger, and what do, what do they say? Why? Now, seriously, have you ever just wanted to haul off and you know what I'm talking about, okay? And so uh, with our kids, they would do that all the time. Why? Why do I gotta do that? Why can't I do that? Our kids were kind of um, spaced out by two, three, four years, each one of them. And so we often had times where the older child was allowed to do something and the younger child was not allowed to do it because they weren't ready for it. And so the younger child would always say, why can't he do that and I can't do that, okay? So I had a typical answer that always shut it down. I would always say, it's because we like him more than we like you. And they just didn't know what to do with that, okay? They just didn't have anything to say. But often when they would say why, we parents... Because we are lazy, what was our answer? Because I said so. Because that's why. And I've always felt that was a great answer. I still believe it's a great answer. I don't think it's laziness. Do you agree with me that sometimes you ought to do something just because the person who's above you told you to do it? That's why, that's why you ought to do it. You do it out of duty and respect of authority. And so that's why I would tell my kids, because uh, I said so, that's why. I had a friend one time tell me, Dave, you ought not say that. 
If your kids ask you why, you ought to tell them why. Explain why. Help them understand why so then they'll be, be obedient to it. And I looked at them and said, you ain't got no kids, do you? <laughs> you ain't got no kids. And he goes, no, I'm serious about this. And that is exactly what the ending of the second commandment is. Watch this, watch this. What God is going to command in the second commandment, you're gonna find out, it's just, I mean, we're talking big time stuff. And he says, but I want you to know why. Before I tell you what it is, I want you to know why. And so the commandment ends with this aspect of why he wants us to do it, and we're just gonna read it. We're gonna end the, we're gonna read the ending of the commandment. Before we even read the commandment, let's, let's read the ending of it, and it comes totally out of the blue. Let's look at it. Chapter 20, first part of five through six. He says this, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now watch this, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, comma. Go on and see the rest of it. The next part of it says, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That is the ending of the second commandment. What in the world is that about? And so does that say there that when we sin in our life, that God then will punish our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren for mistakes that we made. Is that what that says? Does God say that when we do the right thing, that God will reward our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren? In fact, he said, a thousand generations if you do the right thing. Well, I want you to know that scholars have argued about that for years and years. Is that really what he is saying? And we're going to bypass that. We're not going to answer the question. We're going to look at it from a 40,000-foot view. And you're good at this at Eastside. We talk about this all the time. You're really good at this. Understand, this is about worship. This is about you and I doing what we're doing this very minute that we're doing it right. That's what the commandment is about. And it ends with God saying, here's why that's important. And I, I seriously, I want, I want this to get down and I wanted to mess with you a little bit that what you're doing in this room right now is not just about you. It's not just about you. It's about everybody who will follow you. Everybody whose eyes are looking at you, who love you and respect you and know you, that when you and I walk into this room, it is not an individual thing with us and God. God says, no, if you do this right, it has the power to change those who follow you. And if you do this wrong, it has the power to hamper those who follow you. So let me, let me put it this way. I wrote it so that it made sense to me and you follow along with me. If you ignore the priority of worship to the God of this universe, that misstep has the potential of causing irreversible spiritual damage to those that you love the most. 
I'm, I'm hoping that does something to you. I'm hoping that, that folks who are online and, and are watching us, that you're applying that right now because the heaviness of this command is God saying that if you get this wrong, okay, if you get this wrong, then it can forever damage generations of your own family. That's how big this is. Now that's the negative aspect of it. The positive aspect is this. Check this out. If you get the priority of worship to the God of this universe right, there can be a spiritual momentum that is passed down in your family that will never be stopped. And so if I had to ask you right now and you think about those in your life, your circle of influence, your family, your friends, the people you work with, the people who know you the best, let me ask you this. Would you rather hinder them spiritually for generations or would you rather put a momentum in them spiritually that will never cease? Well, you know the answer to that. And so because of that, it is critical that we get this right. And I want that just to be heavy for us, okay? And we, 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 we're making fun of, of people and putting them on the spot with the second commandment and stuff. We're just kind of having fun with that and joking around with that. But the reality is some of us don't even know what it is, much less understand the seriousness of it. God said this goes way, way beyond just you. And so when I hear that gang, I'm thinking, man, I got, I got to make sure that I got this taken care of in my life. And so that then takes us to the beginning of the command. Let's look and see what it is. He told us why. Okay, what is this? Let's go to the beginning of the command. Now, I brought three different translations of the command. So I want you to see the different ones. So I brought them up here. Uh, the New International Version, uh, for those of you who know you're going to heaven, the King James Version, and, and then a, a kind of an offshoot version uh, called the uh, Today's English Bible Version. But, but let's look at it. The NIV, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. Now just look at that. Just don't make anything in the image of anything. That's, that's what the command says. Here's how the old King James Version, thou shalt not make unto thee a graven image. And so whenever somebody says the second man has something to do with a graven image, that means your grandma took you to church, okay? Because that's how you remember that. And then kind of a popular, normal, kind of contemporary version, you shall not make yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything. And so the wording image, graven image, carved image, it's actually a word that means to form something. It might be whittling a piece of wood. It might be taking some clay and folding it until it hardens. It's to take anything with your hands and turn it into some type of image. And God said, don't do that. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I, I see the, the commandment in its most basic form, and I start thinking about that a little bit, and I ask, does that mean that we can't have those little figurines of snowmen and Santa Claus in our house? Does that, that mean all those doors that have Valentine's hearts 
put up on them? Does that, that mean no more of those dumb-looking little turkeys on every table in November? And the more I got to thinking about that, <laughs> the more excited I got, because this might save me some money, okay? My wife ain't going to like it. Is that what it's talking about? I mean, that's what it says. Don't make anything like that of any form. That's what it says. Now, before I, before I came to church this afternoon, I just kind of walked through my house. I walked through every room just kind of looking. Dude, I got them things all over. <laughs> all over. And I'll bet if you went home tonight and you looked around, you'd find them everywhere. Is that what it's talking about? Now, those of us at Eastside are smarter than the average churchgoer because we understand the importance of context, right? We're talking about worship. We're not talking about Santa Claus on your, on your, on your uh, fireplace mantle. We're talking about worship. So don't make objects, God says, with your hands or create objects in your mind that are used for worship. That's what God is saying. And so that poses some uncomfortable questions too. And for those of you who are still with me and you haven't fallen asleep yet, let's go ahead and ask some really tough questions. Does that mean that we ought not have crosses hung in our church buildings? Because we make them with our hands and they're used for worship, and so should they not be here? This church at Eastside has a majestical piece of art that we built together that means the world to us that is hanging right out there in that commons area. And every time I walk past it and look at it, I am filled with a sense of pride. Should that be there? And what makes it even more muddy is you start looking at it from a biblical standpoint, and we found out last week that when the Israelite people heard these Ten Commandments 3,500 years ago, and God says, okay, this is who we're going to be uh, to a pagan world, and now they start to proceed into the land of Canaan, we find that God then starts to describe for them, hey, I want you to build kind of a temporary tabernacle, that's where we're gonna worship, and then later, here's how I want the temple to look like, and when you read about that in the Old Testament, God includes all kinds of stuff like that. There are intricate details that he once carved into certain things in the building. Even the priest's robe has very intricate, specific things that are beyond it. The ark of God is to have two beautiful, large figurines of angels, of cherubim, on either side of it. And God is full of those things in his word. So is God breaking his own commandments? See, y'all didn't know any of this part of the second commandment, did you? And now it's starting to feel a little uncomfortable. Because, man, we saw how he ended it. He said, I'm number one, okay? I don't compete. I'm not going to compete against anybody or anything. And here's how you can do it. You make sure that you worship with me right. And if you get it right, man, it has the power to change the trajectory of your family. But if you monk it up, it will, it will hurt people for generations who you love the most. You gotta get this right. 
And so we hear this, nothing created and made with our hands when we worship. Now, if we went home right now, we're all just going to be a mess. Well, it makes sense if you advance to the middle of the commandment. And so when we go to the middle of the commandment, this is how it is described. You shall not bow down to them. What is them? Those objects. Those things that have been created and made with the hand and imagined in the mind. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now, again, this is another reason why you hear me say all the time, be consistent in your worship particularly here, because we teach things that come up the next week. And if you weren't here the previous week, you're behind the, you're behind the eight ball there. And so you'll remember last week we talked about these Jewish people at the Mount Sinai. They just come out of a polytheistic culture in Egypt where there were all these man-made gods. They were moving into Canaan, which was a polytheistic culture, all these man-made gods, and all those people would make these little things, and they would represent Present their so-called gods and they would worship those little things. And God knows that the people of him were coming out of that, they were going into it, and he was saying to them, that's not what we're going to do. We're not going to do it that way. Worship isn't going to happen that way. And you might say, why? Why can't we have an image of God? Why can't we have a painting of Jesus? Why can't we have those things that help us worship? And because God says this, because, and don't miss this, you can't create anything that will adequately represent the fullness of who I am. There's nothing you'll ever come up that will say, this is our God. It will always come up short. It will always come up short. And what you will do as human beings, God will tell us, is that you will end up settling for the image, and by settling for the image, you never see the fullness of God. That's why he doesn't want any images. And so those of us right here will say, Okay, that all makes sense. That totally makes sense. So, so no little images of God and no created things that we worship and bow down to. And we don't do that, Dave. That doesn't happen here. So we're good to go. That was for them. It's not for us. Let's move on to the third commandment. Remember what I said last week? Not so fast, Charlie. Because let's, let's think about this. If what God is saying is that he never wants us to worship objects or things created in our mind because that will never fully express who God is. What he's saying is that if you get caught up with the image, and the image is what's important to you, you never get to see him. And so here's the nature of the second commandment. Let me put it up here. Never cheapen your worship by focusing on the created rather than the creator. Never do that. 
And again, those of us in this room say, I'm okay. I don't do that. I don't have that object. We don't walk in here and bow down to that piece of art. We, we just don't do that. That's not who we are. That's not our culture. It's all about God. And so that's them. That's not us. Let's move on. But let me throw some things at the, that might mess with you a little bit. Maybe our carved images just look different to me and you. So let me throw some things at you. If you've ever had to have a certain kind of music to worship God. I like that kind of music. Ah, that kind of music stirs my soul. Man, I really like that kind of music. It just gets me going. And if you've ever had a certain kind of music that you needed to worship, or, hang on, because this is going to mess with some of y'all, if you've ever had a certain kind of music that hampered your worship, I don't like that song, that's too loud, that's too this, that's too that, that's not enough this. If any of that has ever happened to you, am I preaching to the choir? Come on now, huh? If that's ever been in your thought pattern, listen, maybe you've settled for the created rather than the creator. See, music is good. God told us to include it. God loves it. We love it. It's a big deal part of our church. But music is never to be worshiped. The minute you worship music, you've cheapened worship because the best of music could never represent the fullness of God. If you come to church because you love the people here, it's a big deal to us, man, at Eastside. There's something about us as family. We have people we love to see, okay? And part of coming here is the enjoyment of everybody here. Hey, man, how you doing? I ain't seen you for a while. And a lot of hugging, a lot of shaking hands, a lot of greeting goes on in this church. We hear people tell us consistently over and over that it's one of the friendliest places they've ever walked into. That is a big deal to us. We try to make that happen. And if you've ever come to church looking forward to it, that the reason I'm coming are the people, the relationships that I have. Happens to me all the time. I'm driving here thinking, man, I hope it's so, so, so. So-and-so's there, I want to go see so-and-so. And if you've ever loved the people, and that's one of the reasons why you're here, or, hang on, watch this one. If you've ever got sideways with somebody here and you said, I ain't going back because of them. See, now we're, now we're jumping on toes, okay? And so if people have ever been a part of the reason why you worship or why you don't worship, then it's possible that you have settled for the created rather than the creator. And people are good. God wants that. We can't do this alone. But the minute you start to worship people, you have failed to see the fullness of God. Let's just keep messing with people. If you decide whether or not you're going to church based on who is preaching that day. Huh? 
one of my best buddies in the world. I've known him for, uh, this ain't my notes, it just came to my mind, must be from the spirit. I don't know, or it may be a bad taco. I don't know what it was. But one of my best buddies in the world here every week, uh, he has come for 25 years every Sunday, and he gives me three mints. And those are my, those are my little fan. And, and we call, I know I probably shouldn't, I call him my drug dealer. He brings me my drugs every weekend. And so a couple weeks ago, he gave me one. I said, what's this about? I wasn't preaching that day. He said, part-time preacher, part-time drug dealer. Okay? So, <laughs> so if you've ever decided whether you're going to go to church or not based on who you found is preaching, maybe, maybe you have settled for the created rather than the creator. See, teachers and preachers are good. God gave them and grows them up in order to pass on to his word. I love the idea because it's given me a job for 40 years, but they are never, ever, ever to be worshiped. One Sunday a few years ago, I noticed something was missing during our worship services. I couldn't put my finger on it. Something wasn't going right, and I just felt it. I just felt it in the room, and I couldn't, what it, what, what's happening? It just wasn't, wasn't something's not, not going right. And I was getting more and more stressed during the service and more and more bothered by it. And right before I came up to preach, I, I realized what, what it was. And we had a string of lights up here on this stage that had went out, and it had taken away the effect that we were trying to have on this stage, and the effect just wasn't there. And I remember thinking, that's it, that's it. Those doggone lights went out. And I was mad about it, I was upset about it, and I came up here and I preached, had a bad attitude, the sermon was absolutely awful. I went home, I was in a bad mood about it, I was mean to my wife about it. I came to church the next day, I got everybody together, I shared my frustration with it, we all talked through it, and it wasn't nobody's fault, technology does that once in a while, and then all of a sudden, it was like it suddenly was there. The whole problem was that I got stuck at the created, and I never saw the creator that day. I keep going down the list, but you, you know what I'm talking about, that God said, I, watch this, God said, I want you to see me. And if there are things that move you toward me, those are awesome, those are great, but don't ever get stuck at those because then you never get to see me. And how many times have you come into a corporate worship setting and you got stuck at the graven image? And even if the graven image was good, you got stuck there. The second commandment said, that prevented you from seeing me. When I wrote this message, my mind went to a, a day when I think we got that right here at Eastside. And it caused a memory in my mind that I hope that I will have that memory until the day that I die. We'd moved into our new building here. We hadn't been here very long. And with this new building, just like if you've ever built a house or things, you, you move in, there's kind of bugs that you kind of got to work out as you 
first get there. And we had a few bugs in our church building here that we had to work over the first few months that we were in here. And one of those bugs that we just couldn't figure out was something just kept setting off the fire alarm. And it was the craziest thing in the world. We couldn't figure out what it is. We'd be working here in the middle of the day, everybody just kind of doing their thing. All of a sudden, the fire alarm go off. We'd have worship service here. We'd have all these people in this room. And a fire alarm go off. You talk about awkward, fire alarm go off when you're having church. And our, our fire alarm is directly connected uh, to the fire department, which it has, has to be. And so the fire alarm goes off, and here come all them trucks and sirens and firemen rushing in the building. And in the middle of the week, it's kind of like inconvenient. It happened right now. It was really awkward. And we just couldn't figure it out. Nobody could figure out what was going on. And so the, the firemen would come in. They'd check everything out. Nothing's on fire. Okay, there we go. And they'd leave. They, they came so many times, they were starting to ask us for gas gas allowance to come and drive the truck over here. I mean, it just happened over and over and over. We just, could, we just couldn't figure it out. And then it happened on Easter morning. You heard, you heard me right. That you're, it happened on Easter morning. And if you're an East Sider and you've been around here for a dozen years, you might have been here. And so we were in this room, place absolutely packed. There wasn't a seat open in this joint. And we were in the middle of worship and we were singing. I'll never forget it. We were singing a song called Forever that was written and sung by Carrie Job. And some of y'all might remember that song. In my opinion, it is the greatest Easter song in the history of Christianity. That's my opinion. And I know some of y'all say, well, you ever heard this? You ever heard this? Well, you're wrong, okay? So this was it. This was the song. It's still the song. It's the greatest song there ever has been about Easter. And it was at a crescendo point. And if you know that song, man, it just gets you. And it was at a crescendo point, And the whole place is standing. And three-fourths of people got their hands up. And everybody just singing with everything. And our team was just knocking it out of the park and all the lights were working and everything was just beautiful. Bam! And the doggone fire alarm went off right in the middle of it. And I'm over on this section over there and that fire alarm goes off. And if you've ever heard the fire alarm here, man, I'm telling you, it is so loud. You can hardly hear anything. It's just blaring. There are lights that you can't even see where they're in here and they're blanking and blanking and the intent is run for your life. That's the, the point about it. And this song's going on at this church is just, man, we are, we, are, we are in the presence of Jesus and celebrating that and, and the building is apparently on fire and I'm over there and I look around and I'll never forget it. I, I hope I never forget until that. I, nobody left here, nobody left. Everybody kept singing, the band kept, kept playing, the song kept going, everybody's still worshiping. I was over there thinking, people, do you know what that means, okay? We're all about to die. And people are like, I don't care if I'm gonna die, if I'm gonna die right here, okay? And, and half of them were parents, you know? Your kids are back there, your kids are gonna die. Well, they've had a good run, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep worshiping. And then it struck me. And it struck me again this week of why it came to my mind. Because in that brief moment, we had all gotten past the created. And we were worshiping the creator. So here at Eastside, let's shoot for that every time we come in this room. 
Father, I thank you for those moments when you show up. And there have been more of them than we have seen. Because our eyes were um, gazed on the image. There's people in this room that, that know what I'm talking about. So we pray for you to somehow help us not stop at the image. We long for the um, powerful momentum that can be passed on to our kids and our grandkids. but they'll never see anything special here if all we show them is the image. So please keep showing up. And one day, one day, I hope, we can see you. Amen.